I'm going to be pretty brief, um, considering the, the scope of what we could be talking about. So let's get right into it tonight. The second point, we looked at the history last week and kind of talked about, you know, a little bit about the organization of Scientology. And I would like to talk a whole lot more about that because it's such a corrupt, corrupt organization. And it's been in and out of court a ton of different times and everything else. But I want to kind of try to stick to their doctrinal errors tonight rather than get into some of their stuff about the actual organization. But the first one is, and the one we're going to spend the most time on, is the Dianetics movement. And I talked about that um, last week a little bit. I, I, I discussed it briefly. We're going to get to John 8 in a few minutes. Um, but let me explain some of these things. You're going to have to kind of listen fairly closely because, again, it, it does not make a ton of sense. Um, L. Ron Hubbard actually was a science fiction writer, right? So he had no problem coining new terms, coming up with different words, and, and he, had, he, he did that with a lot of stuff in his science fiction writing, but also in Scientology. And so uh, that talent of his for coining new words actually kind of became the bedrock for his, you know, for new terminology in Dianetics and Scientology. They have a dictionary that they publish and they update it every so often, but mostly it's what it is since you know L. Ron Hubbard died, but it's it's actually a technical di dictionary with over three thousand terms, and most of them are words that he, maybe I should say most of them, but a lot of them are words that he made up to describe some phenomenon or describe some technique or discovery that he made. And so, what um, dianetics means through thought or through the soul. That's what the word dianetics means according to him. But the new movement, I mean, it's about college campuses. It, it, um, it, was, it, it was middle class America really bought into it. It kind of had this faddish appeal that uh, evolved really into a cultic structure. And I mentioned this last week. I, I'm not going to talk too much about it now. But what happened is he wrote this book, Dianetics. It went to the number one, I think, for, for over 10, I think for six months, actually, six months, it was on the New York Times bestseller list. Could have been on the Amazon bestseller list because Amazon wasn't around then. But New York Times bestseller list, I mean, that's what defined whether a book was really popular or not. And for six months, it was number one. So you, you can imagine how many people bought into this. Well, all these little Dianetics groups started popping up all over the United States, and they were kind of just running their own. And we'll explain what Dianetics is. It'll make more sense how these groups were popping up. But um, they, they were having their own groups. And so Rather than try to harness all that, L. Ron Hubbard kind of let that die down a little bit, and then he reorganized it under the giant structure and then launched it again. So it was it never got as popular as it was, but it gave them all the control. Because now it was a system that you had to buy into and had to uh, you know pay money to get to the next level and so on. So Dianetics, according to Hubbard's book, Dianetics, is essentially what Hubbard calls the science of the mind. And that is, honestly, I think that would, that is, if we had to take one phrase to sum up Scientology, that would be it. It's the science of the mind. That's, that's what Dianetics is. Mankind, according to Hubbard, is basically good. Now, we'll talk about this in a little bit. What does the Bible say about mankind? Basically. That's really wicked. There's none that do with good, no, not one, right? We're not basically good. We're basically evil. We come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we find our goodness in Him. But this is the exact opposite of what it is. According to Him, and according to His book, man is basically good. The 
the basic instinct for all people is survival. And so he says that man's environmental conditions and painful experiences result in faith. So if a man changes his circumstances and eliminates pain, then his condition improves. So two important factors for men's survival then are avoiding pain, gaining pleasure. That is what Scientology is all about. If you can avoid pain and gain pleasure, then what happens is you're going to rise to this level that most people never get because of the need for survival and because of the fact that man's face is good. So the structure of man's mind, according to Dianetics, is simplified by dividing the mind into three main categories. And that is the analytical mind, the reactive mind, and the somatic mind. Let me explain those. And I know we're kind of digging deep into the, into the weeds here, but you have, you have to do this when you don't understand where this is going. So the analytical mind works, according to them, quote, like a perfect computer. It never makes a mistake. So it is also the I, capital letter I, of a person, me. That's the analytical mind. Never makes a mistake. We are like a perfect computer. The reactive mind works on a, quote, totally stimulus slash response basis. So the reactive mind holds mental pictured images of past experiences called engrams, E-N-G-R-A-M-S, engrams, which are apparently the, quote, single source of aberrations in psychosomatic so this mind, this reactive mind, is the subconscious mind. I'm, I'm giving you these so you can understand where we're going with this. The analytical and the reactive minds direct the somatic mind and, quote, place solutions into effect on the physical level. That's the mind that keeps the body functioning and regular. Okay? Now, this is why you need to know that. The problem of humanity is that the reactive mind frequently interrupts the analytical mind. So, as humans, we're basically good, right? So our analytical mind is perfect. We never make a mistake. Problem is, this reactive mind interrupts that analytical mind sometimes. So it's not us, it's the, it's the analytical mind side of it that's making mistakes. So the analytical mind, which essentially is the person, could flawlessly run a person's life, according to them, being a perfect computer, except for the interference from the reactive mind. So that causes the analytical mind to shut off. So we actually can make mistakes, but it's not us, it's that reactive mind. Now, this is where it gets into, it's not your fault. Because Scientology calls that, this causes a moment of unconsciousness. The body's awake, the body's animated, but it's unconscious. You don't realize that you're actually making those mistakes. You don't realize that you're that your reactive mind is interrupting your analytical mind. So during those unconscious moments, the reactive mind takes in a detailed recording from the sensory organs. I'm going to give you an example in just a second, and you'll hopefully understand what we're talking about this. But the recording is not a memory. Like, if you think about something that happened when you were growing up, for example, or something that happened yesterday, right? It's a memory. Something that you can think back on and, oh, I remember when we did this. I remember when we did that. So, what they're talking about is not a memory. An engram is not a it's not a memory, it's an image, it's like a motion picture. And so everything that is said, seen, touched, or sensed is recorded by the reactive mind as an engram. Now, the reactive mind stores that engram, which works to stimulate the person to react as stimulus, to react to that stimulus. Let me give you an example that they use. This is a quote from, from his book. Suppose, as an example of an engram and its effects on the spirit, Mr. A 
as a tonsillectomy under anesthetic. During the operation, the surgeon, who wears glasses, comments angrily to a clumsy nurse, you don't know what you're doing. Mr. A recovers. A few months later, Mr. A, a bit tired during a hard day at the office, has an argument with his employer, who also happens to wear glasses, who says, you don't know what you're doing. Mr. A suddenly feels dizzy, stupid, and gets a pain in his throat. There is installed a disc of conditioned semantic responses which affects the thinking. There's another term that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but that is a cyclical reincarnated entity was discovered by Elmer Hubbard. So these engrams make man react insanely in society. In fact, they make man mad, inefficient, and ill. So, essentially what happens is, everything that happens to you in that reactive mind is stored in an engram. So, if you get mad because of something that happened, or you act crazy because of something that, you know, in response to something that happened, that's not actually you. That's that engram that was stored in that motion picture, and you don't even, you don't even realize that you're actually recalling that as a memory. That's just the sensory side of you, the reactive mind that is interrupting your perfect computer-like analytical mind. So the solution to the reactive mind interrupting the analytical mind is to get rid of all the engrams. So how do you do this? Well, magically, L. Ron Hubbard came up with a solution. That costs money, by the way. But once that's accomplished, that person is called clear. Only one time in the history, well, I shouldn't say that anymore, because this, this was back when L. Ron Hubbard was alive. There have been people that have been called clear since then. But you're not considered clear unless your mind is completely free of all of these ingrams. There's a way to do that. So, let me give you two definitions real quick to help you understand it. The phaeton, which I just mentioned, P-H-E-T-A-N. And, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm reading quotes and stuff like that, or, or you know, uh, copying quotes, I don't take the time necessarily to type the whole thing out. I use the, uh, the voice feature on my computer, and I just, I read the quote, and it types it out for me. Every time I said Satan, it typed in S-A-T-A-N. The computer thinks I have a list or something, you know? Satan, you know? But, uh, so I go back and change it every time. Satan this and Satan that, you know? But a Satan is the immortal soul of each person that's constantly recycled or rebirthed. What is that term? What is that called? Reincarnation, right? It sounds a whole lot like Buddhism, right? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But clear then is a Satan, this, this soul that has achieved total freedom, living rationally, completely untroubled by negative emotions that arise from bad past experiences. So you're perfect. You're born good. It's all of these engrams that are in your mind that are interrupting your analytical perfect side. And if you can just eliminate those engrams, then you don't have to worry about anything happening in your life, and you're essentially going to be living on this perfectly clear-minded level of thought, essentially. So, the clear person has no reaction to the same situation because no engrams stimulate. So, Scientology even claims that people can carry engrams from past life. Amazing! Because people started getting called clear, and they weren't paying any more money to get these engrams erased, and so, oh, you can actually have engrams from past life. So, the application of Hubbard's hypothesis Vanquish these engrams through dietetic therapy, which costs money. This is accomplished by an auditor who audits the engrams through a form of counseling. And you see a picture there. 
think that picture is just a little bit older than the newest one that I can really find. Uh, I'll, I'll show you a picture in a second. Actually, go, go to the next picture. Right now. That's the e-meter that they used. And that was a little machine that was sitting in between those two guys. And um, at their centers and things like that, which I, I, if, you, if you go watch that video on the Scientology website, you'll see exactly what their centers look like. You'll see exactly what, a, what an auditing session looks like. And they actually take five or ten minutes to talk about auditing and uh, the e-meter and everything else. But basically what it is, is they train people to be an auditor, which is... Um, so an e-meter is actually an electronic galvanometer. How it's pronounced, but the pre-clear is what they call somebody who has engrams. You're not clear yet. You're pre-clear. So they hold those two cans um, that are connected to all these wires and everything else, and the auditor sits on the opposite side of him and just watches the needle as he asks questions. And of course, then the auditor is somebody who's been trained in Scientology to ask the right questions and whatever else as an auditor and as essentially a counselor, but. The auditor gives commands, and so then the needle fluctuates and it determines if they detected a possible engram. How they think that's detecting engrams, I have no idea. Uh, somebody actually took that thing apart and kind of reverse engineered it, and they basically said it's very, very complicated on the inside, but it's way over engineered. It, it just it, it doesn't even need to be what it is, but um, how that can track an engram obviously is beyond us. But by tracking the engram through questioning this pre-clear, uh, they can erase an engram. So that can only be, that that might only be the beginning of a person's problems, though. So they they may detect other engrams in connection with the first engram, it produces a chain of engrams. And of course, every time you sit down with an auditor to do with this e-meter, guess what? Cost you a couple hundred dollars to sit down and get an engram, right? So of course they're going to keep finding engrams that need to be erased because that'll keep you coming back and keep paying money to get those things erased, right? So it may take years of auditing for a person to finally be declared clear. Some people never get declared clear because of past lives and everything else. And all these engrams that keep getting brought up by the senior. So I'll claim that his results are scientifically valid and based upon clinical study and everything else. But uh, obviously, critics have denounced it from the very beginning, and it doesn't. Take a whole lot to understand why, but the uh, American Psychological, Psychological, sorry, the American Psychological Association has eight thousand members, and they adopted unanimously by a vote a claim or, or a, a statement, basically, that Hubbard's claims for dianetics quote are not supported by empirical evidence of the sort required for the establishment of scientific generalization. Here's some things that some respected psychologists, I didn't put their names because it doesn't, names don't matter to us, we don't even know who these people are. But some, some respected psychologists in this field have said things like, Dianetics has no respect for and no understanding of the complexities of personality. Another one, Dianetics is saturated in oversimplified truths, half truths, and plain absurdities. There you go, this is a half dash truth. It's supposed to be a dash. And I told you, I, when, I, when I'm reading quotes, I read the quote so it'll type it out for me. But simplified, the use of Dianetics at the very least implies that it's reincarnation no matter what you call it, right? They don't call it reincarnation, they actually call it a rebirth. Um, but reincarnation by any name is still reincarnation. So to them, sin is simply bad actions because you haven't been cleared. It's 
not your fault. You're basically good. Remember, that's what they say about man. You're basically good. It's these engrams that are there without you even realizing that they're there, and they might even be there from a past life that are causing you to not be a good person for them. So being clear and made whole to them simply means that your mind is in the right place. So let's then talk about the scripture of Scientology. Dianetics is really the foundation of a lot of this stuff. I mean, that's where they, they push everybody towards it. Because if you can clear those engrams out of somebody's mind and they're declared clear, and they're living on that high plane of thought and mind and clear vision and everything else. But again, if that is your definition of what you're trying to achieve, how do you call that a religion? How, how is that religion? It's, 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 it's mind, it's psychology, or you know, psychiatry, or whatever you want to call it, but it's not religion. And we'll understand a little bit more about this, because the, 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 the source of authority in any religion is quickly going to tell the reader uh, about that religion's worldview. A lot of Scientology's literature never mentions God, Ever mentions Jesus Christ, ever mentions the Holy Spirit, the Bible, salvation, or other things that are very common terms in Christianity. All of Elmer Hubbard's Scientology writings since Dianetics, since he wrote Dianetics, are considered to be scripture. If you remember last week, I told you that he wrote 25, uh, I mean 50 million words of Scientology literature. He had written, uh, I'm sorry. I might get this wrong. I think it was 25 million words of, of science fiction, 35 million words of Scientology literature. All of that is considered to be their scripture. And it's all books. And of course, guess what? You go into a Scientology clinic, guess what's there? All of his books. And you can buy all of the different books that he wrote about Scientology. And that's how they make money. But they describe their quote, holy book and their articles of incorporation as. A collection of the works of and about the great teachers, including the work Saint Luke. They pick randomly pick Luke in this book, but then amazingly, as you read through all of their literature, hardly anything is said about Luke, let alone any of the writing of the book of Luke. So again, it's it's it really is just a smokescreen for them to try to get a tax-free way to make money. It's, it's really what it is. So. Um, Hubbard revealed the sources for his church in an article in 1954. And I'm, I'm really summarizing here. But those sources that he that he said were the sources for the writings that he came about, um, that, he, that he wrote uh, about Scientology and about explaining what Scientology was. Here's the, here's the people that were heavy influences or, or the other books that were heavy influences in his writings. The Hindu Veda. Sanskrit, Taoism, which means knowingness. Um, as he, he said that Taoism is the ancestor of Scientology, the Dharma, and especially Buddha. He very, very heavily relied on Buddha and Buddhism for the ideas that he came up with. And, and basically what he said is that a lot of those Eastern mystic religions were the precursors to Scientology. And what Buddha said that in 2,500 years, all of these things are going to come to pass in the Western world. Technology is, 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 the, is Buddhist, you know, messages that are coming to pass in the Western world. So, you know, lots of those different things. Scientology claims its church, quote, does not conflict with other religions 
or religious practices as it clarifies them and brings understanding of the spiritual nature of man. So we're not we're not the same as Christianity. We're not hindering Christianity. In fact, you can use Scientology with Christianity. All we're doing is clarifying that and bringing clarity to your mind so that you can think the thing that you think you need to think. But he's more than willing to criticize the Bible. He questioned the origin of the Bible. He said this. It is no wonder we look into the Christian Bible and find ourselves reading the Egyptian book of the dead. Because he says this. The parables that are discovered today in the New Testament were earlier discovered. The same parables. Elsewhere, in many places, one of these was the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which predates the New Testament considerably. Fortunately, about further evidence for how <coughs> the New Testament is the same as the Egyptian Book of the Dead. They just he throws out these claims and expects the people are going to believe it and doesn't offer any evidence. But there's a lot of distinctions we can point out between the Bible and the Scripture of Scientology. But let me point out this one truth. For an individual in Scientology is often subjective and existential. Meaning, if it's true for you, then it's true. And the truth for Mr. Forbes might not be the exact same truth as for Nick. Nick believes this to be true. Mr. Forbes believes this to be true. You're talking about opposite things, but you're both right because it's true for Nick, so it's true. True for Mr. Forbes, so it's true. That's what Scientology's basis is in their scripture. So uh, to quote Hubbard, know thyself, and the truth shall set you free. Where do you find that in the Bible? Right? Know thyself, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus said the exact opposite of that, and I had to turn there to John chapter 8, and verse 31 and 32. He says, then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Well, what's the truth? What's he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's talking about the word of God, right? Know thyself, and the truth shall set you free. Doesn't even make any sense, but never is man of knowledge of thyself called truth in the Bible, right? But what the scripture of Scientology and its objective nature does that allows for a variation of truth. Um, what one person perceives as truth may not be what another person perceives as truth. And so uh I, himself at times spoke of one God and other times he spoke of many gods. And without denial of either one of them, and he affirmed both of those as true statements. There's one God. There's many gods. But it just depends on the time period of life. You know? It was true at that time for me. It was true at this time for me. So you can say different things. You can say opposite things and, and it's all subjective because there is no... How do you have something that is so subjective? Truth is not subjective. Right? If, if I say Jackson is sitting on the front row, and Brian says, no, he's not. Okay, well, if that's true for you, then I guess he's not. Is he sitting there or is he not, right? Two plus two is four. Is it is it four or not? Well, Mr. Forbes might think it's three. So for him, it's three because that's his truth, right? How do you, how do you have anything if truth is subjective, right? So... The truth is relative that he can justify holding two different opposing viewpoints without contradiction. The truth is just relative. So makes no sense. But that's that's what they base their scripture on. Let's look at this, the theology. And we're and like I said, we're covering these things very, very quickly. There's a whole lot more to these things that we can talk about. But the theology of Scientology um, speaks of a supreme being, God, God uh, without telling its members um, 
in which, if any, to believe. So, there's great names, there's God, there's gods. Believe which one you want. You know, our Bible says, who do you believe? What do you believe? Right? Gives us commands that we're supposed to follow. Scientology mentions those things, but it doesn't say anything about follow God, follow Jesus Christ, follow the Word of God, you know, none of those things. In the Scientology Catechism, it says this. What is the Scientology concept of God? We have no dogma in Scientology, and each person's concept is different. <coughs> Excuse me. Each person attains his own certainty as to who God is and exactly what God means to him. The author of the universe exists. How this is symbolized is dictated by your early training in your conscience. So you can believe anything is God. You can believe that any number of things is God. You can have multiple gods if you want to. If that's what you believe to be true, the reason you believe it to be true is because you have these engrams that are telling you that that's what the truth is. So God can be whatever you want God to be. That's their idea. That's their theology. So they address God in monotheistic sense in many places, but he also speaks of the activity of God in other places. So I think he's confused, and I think he just was trying to write so many words, he didn't even remember what he wrote. Right, if you write 35 million words, do you remember what you wrote? I think sometimes that's part of the problem with, with Scientology is you wrote so many things eventually you're going to start contradicting yourself on certain things because how do you keep track of it all, right? It's not like you can go back and read all 35 million words and make sure you get it straight, but they, they find no contradiction in promoting polytheism, which is poly is many, theism is God, theos, many gods. So they have no problem promoting their book on world religion is it, really these little dots that the Hindu Brahma, Brahman is closely parallel with Scientology's understanding of the Supreme Being. So when they're talking about the Supreme Being, they're not talking about God, they're talking about Brahman and all these other things. So a lot of other indications that he certainly doesn't believe in God. Bible. He wrote this, for a long while, some people have been cross with me for my lack of cooperation in believing in a Christian heaven, God, and Christ. I've never said I didn't believe in a big faith but there was that certainly, but, but there was certainly something very corny about heaven at all. So all these terms and terminology in Christianity, just something really corny about it. I never said that I didn't believe in a big, you know, a big man upstairs. Essentially, what you know, a big Satan is basically just saying man upstairs, you know. But all of that just sounded so corny to me. Thank you where he's standing. Scientologists are taught by Norman that man is part of God, that you can attain a God-like nature. He wrote this, a pre-clear is a precise thing, part animal, part pictures, and part God. Well, obviously the pictures is the engram, but you're part animal, you're part pictures, and you're part God. What do you find out in the Bible? Even, even remotely in the Bible, right? Of course they believe in evolution, evolutionary development, um, of homeostasis, Homo sapiens, which is man. They teach that man can and will evolve into Homo nobis, which is described as very high and godlike. So eventually we can become God. Is essentially what he's saying. Let's talk about the Jesus of Scientology. When L. Ron Hubbard mentions Jesus Christ, it's actually, it's rarely in reverence and mostly with disparagement. He looks down on Jesus. Uh, he refused to believe in the Christian Christ. Um, but he says that implants are false concepts forced upon faith. And Scientology 
chalks up Christ as an implant more than a million years ago. So this goes back to the European grants and all this stuff, and so it's an implant. It's a false concept. Somewhere over a million years ago, this false concept of Christ was implanted into the minds of Satan's and it's existed ever since. He wrote this. You'll find the Christ legend as an implant is pretty clear a million years ago. The Church of Scientology teaches that Jesus Christ may, may have believed in reincarnation. He said this. There is much speculation on the part of religious historians as to the early education of Jesus of Nazareth. It is believed by many authorities that Jesus was a member of the cult of the Essenes who believed in reincarnation. Such a lack of respect for Jesus Christ. And I mean, that's, that's being generous. The rest of the things that Scientology has to say about Jesus are blasphemous. They have no foundation in the true scriptures. We talked about this quickly, but turn over to Romans chapter 3. <laughs> the Scientology view of man. Their idea is that man is basically good. And I mentioned this verse a few minutes ago, but you can see it in Romans chapter 3, and verse number 10. Romans chapter 3, and verse number 10 says, There is none righteous, no, no one. But Satan, or the spirit, has some amazing characteristics. More than 80 trillion years old. Your thinking is more than 80 trillion years old, your spirit. And it dwells somewhere within the skull of an individual. That's where the thinking lives. That's essential. And then they, well, I'm not going to get into all that. But when an individual organism dies, the thinking reports to an implant station before it's shot back down to Earth. I'm telling you, that does not sound like science fiction, right? So here he's, he's mixing science fiction with his religion of Scientology. I mean, I, I don't like science fiction anyway. It never made sense to me. Like Star Wars, and I, you know, I know some people are huge fans of that stuff, but Star Wars. I, I never I, I, I never figured out the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. But I mean, sure, people would probably shoot me if I, you know, different fans of either one of those things. But that never interested me. But if you're talking about science fiction, it's actually a pretty good science fiction novel. People. But to say that it's a religion, and to disparage Christ and Christianity the way that he does, he says this. This is the between-lives period. Here he reports in. is given a strong forgetter implant and is then shot down to a body just before it's born. Thetans have been known to fight other Thetans over inhabiting a body. They communicate by telepathy, move objects by kinetics, and travel at high rates of speed. There is... Fixed it on there. It says Satan's on here. Satan's can be packed in ice and frozen, or they may be dumped into the ocean from a blank saucer. It just gets more and more weird. But that's exactly what you know what I'm saying. It's, it's very, very much a crossover between his science fiction and his ideas about what Scientology is. So he talked about the Darwinian form of revolution for man. That sets the stage for everything else that they believe about man's nature. If you believe in evolution, then you don't believe in a creator. You don't believe that man has anything to do with his nature? None of those things. So he suggests that a lot of our problems may be traced to former life. Get this. And these are examples that they use. Smoking tobacco results from smokers dramatizing volcanoes they saw in previous life. The reason you smoke is because you have a 10 gram of something that happened in a previous life when you saw a smoking volcano. So now you have to smoke. Psoriasis, 
This is like a skin condition. He says psoriasis is an imprint that's received from when an animal ate you. The psoriasis resembles the digestive fluid of the animal that ate you. Vegetarians got tired of being eaten by animals in whole life. Fear of falling, he says, can be traced to being a sloth and falling out of a tree. Right? So what he's saying makes sense in Scientology. And that is you have to believe all that stuff if you're going to believe the idea of Dianetics and Thinkings and all of that stuff. That's what an engram is. It's something that happened in the previous life. You're perfect. You're good. The only thing that interrupts that, the only reason you would actually smoke, is not because you're doing something bad, it's because of something that happened in a past life that burned as an engram into your mind. So if you want to stop smoking, you need to go use this e-machine and get that engram cleared out so that now you're not thinking about a smoking volcano in a previous life. And you can quit smoking. But you see what I'm saying? You have to believe that. And it sounds ridiculous. But you have to believe it if you're going to take Scientology at what it is. So, of course, the biblical view of man's portion doesn't include evolution at all. According to the Bible, we've inherited sin nature like Adam. And uh, that's resulted in the evil of the world around us. He disagreed with the Bible at this point. He said that it is despicable. And utterly beneath contempt to tell a man he must repent. And he's evil. There's a man that found out the hard way that he was wrong. Just before God. He was not good. And it's not important to tell somebody that they're wicked and evil. That's what Jesus told us. Right? Jesus did exactly that. He told us that the heart is desperately wicked. Right? None that do good. There's none that seek it after God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I mean, it doesn't get more clear than that. That man is not ultimately good, right? That's that's their view of man. Well, let's talk lastly then about the salvation of Scientology. So although reincarnation is found all the way from the race, Scientologists don't use that term. They use the term rebirth instead of reincarnation. And so Hubbard emphasizes that salvation is to be free from the endless cycle of birth and rebirth. It sounds very much like Buddhism, right? Essentially, you've reached that level of perfection when you stop being reincarnated. And that's exactly what Scientology says. So the way to salvation is to erase engrams through auditing. Prove to a lot of Scientologists that they release engrams through auditing is to accompany science. And Hubbard wrote this when one releases an engram, the erasure is accompanied by yawns, tears, sweat, odor, panting, urine, vomiting, and excreta. That's how you know you're getting rid of an engram. Scientology's view of reincarnation is even more far out than uh, Buddhism. And according to them, reincarnation includes extraterrestrial life, evolution on other planets, evolution on Earth, implantation, forgetter implants, and engrams that keep people trapped in reincarnation. It's just, again, it just, it just keeps going and going and going. So originally, Scientologists were, were you know, 
that they only needed to be in their thing, but of course Hubbard later told them that they have fine things, cluster things that they had to get rid of, and of course. It's just that it was just more of a way for him to get people to keep coming back so they had to keep paying money and keep making him wealthy. And that's that's really all it came down to. So, you know, um, just trying to keep them bound to the church. Okay, you're clear. Only actually we just discovered that there's actually cluster in groups and you have them. So now it's gonna take another ten years of going through all this auditing to get those things cleared out. So these incarnations and reincarnations are the supposed dilemma for the Scientology. Now we're done. Well let me give you a couple verses. Let's look at these quickly with maybe we'll turn over Psalm 51. We haven't we haven't taken explicit time tonight. Um, to look at the doctrines, ideas, practices of Scientology that can be refuted from the Bible as we're going through these, but I want to point out five things very quickly as we finish up here. Number one, original sin is a biblical doctrine. Right? We're all born with it, and we have a propensity to sin our entire life because we're born in sin. That's very clear in Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Right? I think that's pretty clear that original sin is a biblical doctrine. Look at Psalm 102. Here's the second thing. And this is this is basically a, a refutation of everything that we've talked about in Scientology. There is no such thing as reincarnation. Right? The soul of each person is created when they are conceived. Psalm 102, verse 18. This shall be written for the generation to come. And the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Verse number 3 After death, there is no chance at life. After death, there is no chance at life. There is no such thing as reincarnation in the Bible, but that's even proven further by the fact that there is no chance at life after death. Right? If you, if you didn't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to come back with something else and get a chance to do it again. He says this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. As it is reported, a man wants to die, but after this, you got Right? I'm saying, but after this, you get recycled and you get to try again. Right? You get this life, and then it's the judgment. Right? Turn over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I'll tell you this, number four, the most important thing in life is not how happy or well-adjusted you are. It's what you believe by Jesus. Yeah. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So number five, the past is dealt with by coming to Christ and getting his help. There's a lot more that we can say about Scientology. If you have any interest in can see some of these visuals at all. I mentioned again, just go look at that video. They try to cover everything. Of course, they're going to paint it in the best light they possibly can. But it might help you understand some of these things a little bit more if you didn't understand it before, as if you really care to understand it. But Scientology is really is nothing more than a cult. It's all about control within the organization. And again, I wish, I wish we had time to, to talk more about that. that. That really is what makes it a cult. That's really what defines it as a cult, is the, is the control of the organization. Uh, Scientology has to be practiced in strict orders. I told you about their forced abortion and their physical abuse.
adults that are under these, you know, under these people who are in the sea or and so on. But it's 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 under the exact supervision of the church of Scientology. If you don't do it exactly the way they say that must be done, you can start over, you can come back, you pay more, you can do whatever. There's so many things that we can't get into. It's a complete dictatorship that's run by David Miscavige. Um, which by the way, his mother-in-law, um, I don't know if founded is the right word, but there's there's lots of different little splinter groups of Scientology. And she, along with a few others, were in this splinter group of Scientology that was actually starting to gain a little bit of popularity. And all of a sudden, she magically died by suicide with three bullets. Two in her abdomen and one in her head. Amazing how you can shoot yourself with three bullets, right? And after you're dead, shoot yourself two more times. You declare suicide, nobody, nobody checks into it, and that was the end of it. David Miscavige's wife has not been seen since 2006. And they claim that she's still alive and well, she just wanted to get out of the spotlight and everything else, but even people within Scientology have not seen her since 2006. Multiple missing persons reports have been filed with the police, and the, and the police say, and, and again, there's, there's questions as to whether or not the police are Scientologists, but the police say that they've spoken with her and she's doing just fine. But nobody has seen her since 2006. There's so much secrecy and so much stuff that goes on within that organization that it's actually starting to become, it becomes their life. When somebody leaves Scientology, confessions that were made during auditing and everything else, they use against that person, publish them, they use it to talk about you know, how wicked of a person this person really was, they didn't belong in Scientology anyway. We actually, we kicked them out. You know, the only reason they left is because they knew we were going to kick them out and we actually did, and that's why they left. I mean, don't try leaving Scientology if you ever get into it. Because you're not going to leave with your reputation or anything intact. But um, even you know, families are split. They have they have a form of excommunication. If you you know, if you bring a bad reputation to the church or you leave the church or whatever else, you're excommunicated. You're not allowed to talk to your family. If your family tries to, if your family is inside Scientology and they try to come to you and you've been excommunicated, they're excommunicated. And it just the list just goes on and on and on. It's a perfect definition of a cult. And the more you get into it, the more you study it, and, and all the cultic tendencies and all that stuff. So Scientology is another one of those religions that should be avoided like any of these other false religions that we study. I still have a hard time calling Scientology a religion. At the very least, it's a cult. And many people fall for it. Uh, thankfully, I think a lot of people buy it as a reason. Only 25,000 people in America really talk about it. And that's a good sign. I hope it gets down to 25 people and I hope it drops to zero. Right? And Scientology disappears and nobody ever hears about it again. It's, it's blinding these people to make them think, I'm not that bad. I can get to heaven. I don't even need to get to heaven. I'll just keep reincarnating until I become a god myself. So, anyway, like I said, we can talk a whole lot more about it. If you want to get into some more, I can give you some sources and some, uh, some things to look at. The best place to just go to their website and watch that video and see their, you know, their different stuff. It's pretty easy to point to their stuff. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give a thank you so much for our baby Hercules for the opportunity that we have to spread the gospel, spread it to help us. Spread it to be with Brother JJ. I pray that he give him a good night tonight.
rest and we'll be able to come home tomorrow if you're planning. And uh, of course, I, I pray that you bring us back here safely on Sunday. We can worship you. Thank you for all that you do for us. Amen.